Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Welcome to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit is saying. Well, welcome back, everyone. I've been on a little bit of a vacation, if you want to call it that, dealing with some issues here. Um, But I'm back now. Praise the Lord. And today, this podcast is going to be discussing holiness, Christian perfection, and what God requires of us. Let me begin by saying that um, when Christ, I want to get a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, when Christ called, when, when God calls a man to himself, he calls him to come and die. That means there's a death to self. It may involve dying physically. Uh, that's also, that's a very real possibility of being converted to Christianity. Not so much here in the West because we've had it pretty soft and cushiony over here, but in generally in a lot of countries around the world, it can cost you your life or your livelihood or even your citizenship in some cases. Um, and of course, we know in the ancient church that they it cost in their lives. And according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, I believe the 20th century has had more martyrs than any other point in Christian history. I don't know how the 21st century is making out so far, but we're not that far out from the 21st, 20th century, and I'm pretty sure it hasn't changed much um, between since we transitioned from one century to another. Having said that, uh, yes, we teach the five solas here. Justification is by... Uh, faith alone in Christ, through Christ, by, by grace alone, but through faith alone, in Christ alone, and we live for the glory of God alone. Uh, and we, yeah, we do all of that. Oh, we do all of that. And scriptures alone are our final court of arbitration. I get that. But lest we misinterpret what we mean. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that that not of yourselves, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And some people begin to think, I can get saved, and I can live like hell. I can do whatever I want, just run rampant, go crazy, fornicate, lie, cheat, steal, commit fraud, uh, do whatever I want to do. However... At the same time, you know, because God has given me grace and therefore God's grace is going to cover all of my madness and my wiling and everything up to that effect. That's what is known in theology as cheap grace. Uh, even though justification is by grace alone and through faith alone and there's no work that you can do to save yourself, that is not now mean that you have carte blanche and a license to just run around and sin. When Christ calls a man to himself, he calls him to come and die. Yes, the grace of God saves us through faith. Yes, yes. No, there's no word that will save us. But that same chapter in Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 9 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So this is what we're made for, good works. <clears throat> so genuine saving faith, and the Bible also speaks of the obedience of faith, that genuine saving faith, when the grace of God is applied in the life of the heart, in the heart of the true believer, <clears throat> that it produces good works. There's a cleansing and a work of God in the human heart 
that where we begin to hate sin and we begin to long for holiness and godly living. If this is not produced in the heart of the person who has received the grace of God, who says they have accepted Christ by faith and the grace of God, <coughs> genuine saving faith will always produce a believer who is walking in holiness, who is walking in godliness. It will produce that. Okay? There's, there's no separation between the two. Otherwise, all you have is cheap grace, and that salvation is not a genuine or a true salvation, or a genuine conversion, and in hell you will lift up your eyes should you die tonight. That is a definite sign. Jesus said in the fifth chapter of Matthew, uh, excuse me, the seventh chapter of Matthew, he said, a tree is known by its fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of the Father. Genuine saved people are not people of just words, but actions. And if you are saved, if you have been transformed by Christ, you are going to produce good works. You are going to produce fruit unto holiness. You're going to see signs of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You're going to see growth in your life. You're going to see yourself becoming strong in the Lord and the power of his might. If that's not happening, then you need to go take a serious reconsideration of whether or not you have been saved. According to Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Hopper, you need to get that book, uh, the Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Every believer should read that. I would, I'm not the pastor of a church, but if I were a pastor of a church, I would require all, anyone who's getting ordained, it would, be, it would be required reading to sit down, read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Shouldn't be in the pulpit unless you read it. That's just my opinion, folks. Cheap Grace is grace without the cross. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself, take up his cross and come follow me. Cheap grace is grace without calling us to obedience and holiness. God has called the church to obedience and holiness and godly living. You cannot be saved and then live like the devil. That doesn't, doesn't work like that. There must be a transformation and a work of God on the inner man. In Ezekiel, God says, I will sp sprinkle clean water upon them, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So there's a, there's a, there's a cleansing that takes place in salvation. Clean water is sprinkled upon us, and we shall be clean from all our filthiness and, and from all, our, our, all of our idols. Then he says there's, there's some spiritual surgery that takes place in salvation. So there's a cleansing. The clean water, that the work of the Holy Spirit, cleanses us. Then the second thing that has to happen is surgery. God, open heart surgery. God says, I will take out their heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You get a spiritual heart transplant. The heart that you had before is removed because it's a heart of stone. It's hard and resistant to the gospel. doesn't do any good. And then he changes the heart. Gives you a new one, a heart of flesh. And then he does something with a heart of flesh. He doesn't write his laws in a heart of stone. don't work. But he writes his laws upon your heart, the heart of flesh. The new heart has the laws of God written upon it. The word of God is internalized. The law on the external that's outside of us, if unless it's internalized, it does the seed of God, the life and the power of God does not germinate. The power of the word germinates in the in a heart of flesh. And God writes his laws upon our hearts. And then to make sure we're living a godly life, God says, I will put my Holy Spirit within them and I will cause them. The Holy Spirit will be the power source, the driving source to empower you because apart from the Holy Ghost, you cannot live a godly life. You cannot live a holy life. It's not going to happen. 
But once the Holy Spirit is in, has been put in you, the laws of God written on your heart, and you sprinkle and clean from me all your filthiness and all your idols, then God will cause you to walk in his ways and in his statutes. That's the regenerated man. Oh, wait, that was in the Old Testament. Yes, regeneration was talked about in the Old Testament. That's what Ezekiel was talking about, regeneration. Jesus said you must be born from above or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. This is not an option. This is not a debate. It's not up to negotiation. Christ never negotiated when it came to the issues of salvation. There was no negotiations. Christ calls us and he calls us to live for him, to glorify him. And he calls us to obedience and he calls us to faithfulness to the things of God and to holiness, which we read here in Hebrews uh, 10, 14, without which, 12, 14, excuse me, Hebrews 12, 14, without which no man or woman for that matter shall see the Lord. So salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, based on scriptures alone, is not a free ticket to live a life of sin and ungodliness. It's not a hall pass where we can now do whatever we good and well please. The saved heart, the renewed heart, the transformed heart develops a hunger and thirst for righteousness. It develops a love for God and wants to move towards godliness. And is more than happy to put the, to death the deeds of the lower nature. As the Bible calls it, the flesh. I like to say lower nature because people think the human body is bad and it isn't. The definition of flesh that I use, and I believe that the Bible speaks about when it refers to flesh, is the full impact of sin on our entire being, on our mind, emotions, will, and on our physical appetites. Uh, they're accentuated and out of control. They're not controlled. The appetite to eat can be gluttony. Out of control is, leads to gluttony. Uh our sexual sex drive not under control leads to sexual immorality and our need and desire for rest can be turned into just outright laziness and not wanting to work that's what i mean by the the, the flesh the darkened mind the darkened the 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 will is in bondage to sin and the emotions are damaged. All of those are the effects of sin on our total being as human beings. And Christ comes and redeems all of that. He frees the will, he enlightens the mind, and he balances our emotions, heals them and balances them. And then empowers us to control our physical appetites. You know, it, 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 it amazes me that people are always asking God for healing. Heal me, Lord. Cancer, deliver me. Get demons out of me. Now, all this kind of foolish. Which, by the way, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed because a demon and the Holy Spirit cannot inhabit the same body. So if you are truly saved, that's another thing. If you're a demon-possessed and you got demons, then you probably need to go get saved. Now, demons can oppress in terms of work outside of us, but they cannot jump in you and take you over. You cannot be demonized as a believer. All right, so Christians don't are not the ones who need deliverance from demonic activity. It's, it's not the Christians. It's the sinner. If you're saved, Christ delivers. That's that comes a package deal. And it's a one and done. Christ delivers you and you stay delivered. You don't get delivered, then undelivered. You don't get saved and then unsaved again. What is this? All right. So, 
We do not live how we good and well please. God does a work in the human heart that is so effective. Now, you may not see results right away, but you begin to hate sin. The Apostle Paul in the seventh chapter said, When I would do good, I find that evil is present with me. Who should deliver me, O wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death? That's the struggle of the young believer. And yes, the older believer still struggles, but not as not with that type of intensity. As we grow, as we mature, we get more and more victory uh, based on how well we obey. And we'll talk about that a little later on. Because God does allow, while God does not allow us to participate in our salvation, he does allow us to participate in our sanctification. It's minimal, but he does allow us to participate in it because we, he's teaching us how to walk, how to grow, right? You don't want your child, you're not going to push your child around. You know, it's, it's, it's nice when you're pushing a baby around in a carriage, but you got a 60-year-old man still pushing around in a carriage. Come on, why you ain't learned to walk yet? Okay, so in that same way as believers, we have to learn how to walk with the Lord and how to uh, become strong in the Lord. So these are things that we need to do. So it's cute when you're starting out, okay, look, he's wobbly, he's falling down, you know, but it ain't cute when you're a full-grown man and you still are acting like a baby, still wearing diapers, still pooping in your pants, still somebody need to change. What is this? Somebody need to feed you. Come on. You're a grown adult, male or female. Shouldn't have to be. So, yes, when you're a baby Christian, okay, I get it. Need a little help. But as you mature and as you grow, you should become to some type of maturation where you can handle your business. And that's what God wants. That's why he allows us to participate in our salvation. It's not to get bragging rights. So I can start boasting again, ha ha, I'm better than you because I'm, you know, I'm living holy and you are not. That's not the point. But it never ceases to amaze me that we always look to God for healing and deliverance for these types, for various areas of our life. When we don't see that the real work of God is in the sanctifying process of Christ. What does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? And what we should be seeking God for is holiness and godly living. That's what we need to be seeking him for. Not all this other stuff. So let's keep that in mind, saints of God. We don't want to get involved in what is known as cheap grace. At all. Not cool. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Saints, that's the scariest verse in the Bible to me. I read that, and I just about had a meltdown. I was thinking, well, I guess I'm doomed for certain. But Jesus made it clear that as your heavenly Father is perfect, you also must be perfect. But let's see what he actually says before there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, because someone love your enemies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and uh, yeah, some scary stuff. Then he says something else here later on concerning the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, you know, these guys, man, they were like, you know, uh, perfection perfectionists. Yeah, definitely. Now let's look at chapter 5, verse 20. Let's take a little look at that. And see what that says. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we have to be perfect as God is perfect in heaven. And God also requires us that our righteousness has to exceed that of the righteousness and scribes and Pharisees. That's a little bit easier to do because their righteousness was hypocritical 
and it was superficial. It, there was it, there was no it, it it wasn't rooted in internal. Uh, it, it, it wasn't internalized. They just did it to be seen of men. Uh, let's look at pharmaceutical righteousness right quick while we're on the subject, uh, so that we can kind of get a good look at that. And Jesus laid it out in Matthew 23. So let's do that first, and then I'll swing back around to what God requires, Ben, to, to God's perfection and God's holiness. But this one is a lower bar, and if you understand what Jesus is talking about, it shouldn't freak you out. The one that freaked me out when he said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. I'm like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way I'm going to be perfect the way God is in heaven. That's just not going to happen. I don't care who it is. Right? So let's look at Matthew, the 23rd chapter. And we're just going to take a little stroll through that. I'm going to think I'll read it out because I'm going to be making some pit stops here and here and there. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees, whose righteousness you have to exceed. They sit in Moses' seat. They're in a place of leadership. So observe, so do and observe whatever they tell you. So, you you know, God, Christ said, even though these people are hypocrites, you need to observe what they're telling you because they are in leadership, all right? Can't have anarchy, even with the worst of leaders. Uh, somebody has to be in charge. Okay. Do whatever they tell you. But not the works they do. However, do what they say, but not what they do. Why is that, Jesus? For they preach, but they do not practice. They do not practice what they preach. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Pharisaical righteousness is a righteousness that's done for show. It's, 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 they're, they're working for an audience of man. They're, they're not putting out righteousness to be seen in right standing with God. They're doing it so people can praise them and see how pious and righteous they are. So they're playing to the crowd. They're not, the, they're playing to the wrong audience. They shouldn't be, the audience is supposed to be God. That's who we perform for, God. We shouldn't be performing for people. But that's what the Pharisees did. They were people who performed and did their righteous deeds to be, get accolades and praise from people. So, uh, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not the words for they preach, but do not practice. Verse 4, they tie a heavy burden. Number one, they tie heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. These guys got more rules than you can shake a stick at. I remember the old holiness days churches. You know, women's skirts had to be down to their ankles. Um, you know, you, you couldn't wear, you had to wear black and white. Your suits had to be black and white. That's all the 22 colors you could wear. A woman couldn't wear red. She couldn't have open toe shoes. She couldn't paint her toenails. She couldn't wear makeup. That's pharisaical stuff. They bind burdens on, on heavy burdens on people that are grievous to be born. Oh, and some of them got real legalistic. Let's say you were married and got divorced, and then after you got divorced, but let's say you weren't saved when you were, for example, that you weren't saved at the time when you got married, your first marriage. You got divorced and got saved during your second marriage. You and your wife got saved during the second marriage. Some of them were so legalistic, they wanted you to divorce. They said, that's not a clean marriage. you got to divorce your second wife and go back to your first wife. Otherwise, you're living in adultery. Well, that's problematic. First of all, what happens if the first wife is remarried and she got kids by that husband? What happens then? And what if she don't want you back? What if the husband punches you out for trying to come back and take his, take his wife now? Because she's not yours anymore. You're going to create problems. And then you leave the wife that you have, but she's got kids for you now. So now that's a divorce, not because you want to, but because you think you're obeying God. A wise preacher once told me, anybody, when it comes to those types of things, with, with, with getting saved and remarried and all that kind of stuff, anybody can scramble eggs, but you can't unscramble them. Once the egg is scrambled, whatever condition you are in when you get saved, just stay right there because you're not going to go back and start and remarry the other person again. 
those are very rare instances that that happens, but it's not a requirement for salvation. That's what I mean by pharisaical. They got these heavy rules and legalism, you know, um, you know, they took, they used to take us to the beach sometimes and so we can avoid the, the debauchery of the carnival parade in the, in the Caribbean. Well, now you're at the beach with scantily clad women and you're 15 year old. Yeah, th that did not help whatsoever. Okay, didn't make us holy. And then one time a guy wanted to, uh, one of the young people, and it, it's normal for, for, for young people, when they're, particularly in their teens, that boys are going to start noticing girls, girls are going to start noticing boys. They're going to want to talk to each other. That's not a sin. It's not a crime. But the old legalistic church had a meltdown. Oh, my God, dude, you know. And then they drug us back to the church and gave us, lectured us on uh, how, how all we needed was Jesus. But I'm looking at the person lecturing, and I'm saying, but you're married, so how did you get married if all you needed was Jesus? That's what Pharisees do. They put heavy burdens on men's shoulders that are grievous to be born. It's not natural. It's not from God. It's just a bunch of man-made gobbledygook. They tie up burdens. That's pharisaical. So you can exceed that righteousness easy. And lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with one of their fingers. They won't help you with it. And they don't practice it themselves, but they're telling you to do it. Telling you all you need is Jesus, but yet they're married. Well, uh, you know. If all you need is Jesus, why would you bother getting married? The, the second thing about pharisaical righteousness or fake righteousness, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, not by God. They're not performing for God to see, to bring joy to his heart or any type of happiness. No, these people are doing it to be seen by men. It's showtime. And they want people to see how righteous they are. That's pharisaical righteousness. And Christ said your righteousness has to go beyond that. You cannot be performing for people, and you can't be legalistic, putting heavy burdens on people's shoulders that you don't, you don't even practice that yourself. The burden shouldn't be there in the first place, but secondly, you don't even do it yourself. But yet you're demanding it from other people. You cannot demand something from someone that you're not practicing yourself. And stop putting man-made rules on on god's people we couldn't go to the movies you went to saw a movie god help you don't let the rapture come and you're, and you're watching a movie legalism bondage that's all that is foolishness yeah Don't go to the high school prom. Let your kids go to the prom. Let them, let them just, first of all, you are, you're saved. You have the grace of God. And if your kids aren't yet saved or if they are saved, just leave them be. Let them grow at their own pace in their own way. You just, if you teach your kids right from wrong, when they get to the prom, they'll be all right. Okay? Uh, everything's going to be okay. Let them, let them grow and mature. This is all part of it. Now, I can say a few other things. I know some of y'all definitely stop listening to me, but I ain't going to say it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, stop making childhood a nightmare. Some Christians want to celebrate Christmas, some don't. If you don't want to celebrate Christmas, that's fine. I celebrate it. I put up the Christmas tree. I'm not worshiping ISIS. I'm not doing any of that. And in fact, you can, you know, God told Adam, whatever you call something, that's what it is. So since in my house, I'm Adam. And in my house, I can give any meaning to anything that I want. I don't care what it used to mean. From now on, it means this. The Christmas tree in my house means everlasting life in Christ. That's what you it's, it's a teachable moment as you're decorating the tree. You can teach them. The Star of David, you know, you talk about Christ. Talk about everlasting life. You're beautifying the tree because God beautifies the meek with holiness. Etc. Etc. You can use those as teachable moments, people. As you're cook making the cookies and you're talking to your children, that's a time to start teaching them about Christ and about the meaning, the true meaning of Christmas, etc. 
I don't care if it used to be a pagan holiday. I don't care if we, of course, I'll, you tell your children, we don't know if Christ is born this day, but this is the day that the church has chosen to celebrate his birthday. It is not the end of the age. God's not going to come and go, nobody burns in hell because they celebrated Christmas. Stop it. Legalism. Let your children have fun and excitement. Buy them gifts. That's right. Get them some toys. Let them have some fun. Adulting has enough headaches as it is. At least give them some good childhood memories. Don't let their childhood be a nightmare because they're going to have a very hard, really weird way of looking at God. Like, man, God is just, you know, he's oppressive. And he isn't. But all they do, they, they, they love, verse 6, they love the place of honor at feasts. They want to have the place of honor. I want to sit at the head table. And they like the best seats in the synagogues. I want to sit on the platform with, 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 with the elders and the, and, the, and the pastors. I want to sit up there and be seen. Look at me. Best seats in the synagogues and greetings. And they love to be greeted in ShopRite, Publix, Pathmark. They want to be greeted, being called rabbi or preacher, teacher by others. And Jesus said, you're not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Now, I have the title of elder in a church and reverend, Don Ryan, all of that. Yeah, I'm ordained minister, all of that good stuff. But you know what? When you see me, it's Don, Donald. If you feel like it, Brother Reimer, that's okay. Brother Don, you don't have to put any official title in front of me. You don't have to put reverend or elder or any of that in front of me. All right? Because I'm just like you, a man just like you. And when we get to heaven, he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful bishop or pastor or elder or, he's gonna, or reverend. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. When that was, and that's going to be for everybody. The greatest among you shall be your servant. See, the Pharisees don't do that. You exalt yourself. The Bible says you'll be humble. You humble yourself. You'll be exalted. But look at the scribes and Pharisees. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. These people shut up the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You know why? Because they don't teach the justifications by grace and, and faith in Christ alone. They don't teach that. And, and when you don't teach that, you give people rules and regulations, and that's all they're getting. You're shutting up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go in. They ain't saved themselves. If you're in a church and your salvation is tied to your obedience, and that's the only way you can be saved is be obedient to God, and if you disobey God, you're going to burn in hell and all that kind of stuff, you need to take a good hard look at that and say, man, this is my justification by faith in Christ alone. That's what's saving me alone. And again, I'm not talking about living any way that you want. But if you're making obedience the basis upon which you are to be saved. I saved God. I'm saved because I did something, not because I believed in Christ. Then, yeah, that's something wrong. That's parasitical righteousness. Saving faith will produce good works. But those good works have no merit towards your salvation. But if they're telling you that your obedience or your good works has merit towards your salvation, they're pharisaical. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, Jesus said. You travel across sea and land. You, some, some of these people are missionaries. They go around the globe to make one proselyte, one convert. And when that person gets saved, you put your legalistic stuff on him and you make him twice a child of hell than you are yourself. Don't eat pork. You ain't worshiping on Saturday. You, you ain't liberal. You ain't worshiping right. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I don't eat swine. Okay, good. Good for you. Not going to save you, but all right. 
and these people become twice the children of hell than, than the people who led them to this nonsense. Jesus called them blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple that has made the gold sacred? It's the temple. <laughs> Look at verse 19. You blind men. Excuse me. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? The altar is what's sacred, not the gift. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything in it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, by the throne of God, and by him who sits upon it. That's what you're doing when you take an oath. Look at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Listen, look at what these guys do. They pay their tithes. I'm a tithe paying. People have tithe, tithing to their salvation. Now, somehow tithing is a work that indicates you're in right standing with God. Look what Jesus said here. Not only did they tithe their mint, their money, but they tithe their mint, anise, and cumin. Now, notice Jesus just said you shouldn't do that. He didn't say don't do it. But what he did say, it's not enough to tithe and you neglect the weightier matters of the law. God is concerned more about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Let me say this again. God is more concerned about justice, faithfulness, and mercy than he is about you paying tithes. How dare you pay tithes to get a blessing and you don't like justice. You won't have mercy and you're not faithful. And now think you're in right standing with God because you pay some tithes. Repent of that. Look at that. You blind guys, you strain the gnat and swallow the camel. We fixate. That's word of faith teaching. It's a fixation on the wrong thing. It's a fixation on God blessing you, giving you money, giving you favor. And you're putting that over people getting saved. You're not telling people how to get saved. And they'll get their blessing. They'll get their favor. They'll get their money. And they'll gain the whole world, their private jets. But they'll burn in hell because you did not tell them to repent and put their faith in Christ for their salvation. You left them with the impression that all the gospel is, Jesus is here to give you what you want. And that's it. And after that, well, hey, you know, it is what it is. But you're not telling them to get saved from the wrath of God, that they're under the wrath of God until they come to repentance and faith in Christ. That's straining the gnat and swallows the camel. Second thing, final thing is they, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. They clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean inside of the cup and plate, that the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs. I see all these graves and these tombs that look beautiful outwardly. But within you're full of dead men's bones and all manner of corruption, Jesus says. So also you outwardly, you appear to be right before people, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's these preachers that preach all this stuff about holiness and godliness, and yet they're pedophiles and they're molesting children. Whitewashed graves, beautiful on the outside, got all their doctrinal ducks in a row. But inside, they're full of dead men's bones and all manner of corruption and sexual perversion. That's the pharmaceutical people. And then they wax eloquent about the about you know how we would not have martyred those any any of these people back in the day you know i i would have i would have honored them ezekiel and daniel and these other guys in this context jesus is talking to the jews and he calls them serpents brutal vipers and how can they escape from being sentenced to hell
and God will send prophets and wise men and scribes, and some they will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute them from town to town, so that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barchiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. And then Jesus presented a curse on that particular generation. That's pharmaceutical righteousness that we have to exceed. Our righteousness cannot be external. It must be internal, rooted in an inter a work of God on the human heart in Ezekiel, like I just read to you earlier. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Amen. That was Ezekiel chapter 26, starting at verse 25 all the way to 27. Amen. Now we're going to talk about how God sanctifies. Just like salvation is a work of God, there can be no sanctification without God working on the human heart. And that's what we just read to you in Ezekiel. That's God working on the human heart to sanctify us, to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at a couple ways here, and we'll wrap this up. And again, I'm not exhausting this. This is not everything I can say about sanctification. But these are just little modules to help you start thinking about it. And hopefully something in here will trigger you to whet your appetite to say, well, I'm going to dig in on this a little bit, a little bit better and try to get a better look at it to see, you know, what's really going on here. And so I went over that with you earlier about Ezekiel and, and his cleansing. Uh, so there's a, so sanctification is, yes, it is still, just like salvation, it's a creative work of God on the human heart. In this context, however, we do participate, and God allows us to do so so that because he wants us to learn how to walk and to come to maturity. Well, you're not going to come to maturity if you do everything for the child. The child won't grow. But again, but as parents, we come along and we help them, you know, how to walk, you know, you're, you're studying them and then finally you let them go and they, the child's not paying attention to the fact you let them go. I remember ride, learning how to ride a bike. You know, the parents was, was pushing me on the bike and they said, don't just keep pedaling, keep pedaling. And they're walking next to me and I'm thinking, Okay, they're still holding on to the bike, but I'm pedaling and pedaling, and then I look around like, oh shoot, they're not there, you know. But I'm I'm riding. Okay, uh, that's how it is. God, you know, kind of steadies us, gets us going, and then he, he empowers us, shows us how to do it, and when we learn how to do it, we walk and we live a life of holiness. And the seventeenth chapter of the Gospel of John. Let's take a quick look at that one also. Because we're still talking about how does God sanctify us? What does he do here? Or in what ways, or what are the tools that God has given us so that we can be sanctified? So let's look at John 17. And starting at about, let's read from verse 1. I think it's, a, it's, worth, it's well worth a good read. So let's read the whole, starting out with verse 1, and then we'll go from there. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, 
Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. And by the way, all this, I'm reading out of the ESV. All right, that ver that last verse there is what I wanted to get at, but it was so such a rich chapter, I wanted to read it. You know, a lot of times we do Bible study, and, and I think and we try to, as Bible teachers, we try to speed things up because we don't want to read the scriptures because we figure that's going to take away some time. So we'll throw out a quick quote and then tell people to go back and read it. But I think it's okay sometimes to just slow it down a bit and just read the scriptures. Right? My words, my talking is not going to help you. But those words that were just read there, scriptures, you internalize that, it'll do something for you. Much more than all my blah 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 is going to do. But he says in 17, John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God sanctifies us through truth. And in this context, it's his word that is truth. How about that? Wow. <laughs> yeah, think about that for a minute. Set them apart. That's what it means to be sanctified. Sanctification, holiness, all that means, it's the same word, just means to be set apart for holy service to God. And that's what it means to be sanctified. All right, let's take a little look here. Uh, so God wants to sanctify us through his truth, and, and that's the power of his word. Okay, this thing is frozen here. All right, so yes, that's how God sanctifies us, is through the power of his word. So you have to be a student of the word of God, and you have to internalize. You just can't memorize it. Memorizing is not going to do it. That's part of it. That's the beginning stage. That's just phase one. Then there needs to be a meditation and a serious deep dive and study in the Word of God. I did a podcast on uh, two podcasts. Chad Mansbridge, uh, You Can't Handle the Truth. You want to check that one out. And the other one I called um, How to Sharpen Your Sword. And I go through there and give you a starter kit on how to do a Get yourself started in doing a deep dive into the Word of God. Get into the Bible, study it, get the right study aids, and learn how to rightly divide the Word of Truth, and it will sanctify you the more you get into it. So let me back up to Bonhoeffer here for a minute. When Christ calls a man to himself, he bids him to come and die. Sanctification is through the truth of God's Word, Remember I talked about having a true north, a Christian is committed to truth, whether the truth is pleasant or unpleasant. You know, I, I'm in my latter days, my prayer to God is in my latter days that I want to teach some advanced theology and I want to teach some church history. 
But there's one thing, anybody who takes a course or a class with me, the one thing I'm going to tell them, forget everything you think you know. Because as we get into the Word of God, God's, and God illuminates our mind, we're going to have to change our mind about some things. How do I know this? Because I, over the years, even having gone to Bible college, have been studying the Bible since I was, when I get my first Bible, when I was 13. And I've been studying the Bible since then. And I went, yes, I went to Bible college and all of that. And when I came out, I have never stopped studying it. And over the years, I'm 64 now. Well, it'll be 64 next week. And over the years, I have changed my views. And a lot of times, when every time I approach the Bible, I have to put down, forget everything you think you know. And try to be as objective as possible. And this not, nobody's 100% objective. I'm not 100% objective, and neither are you. But I do the best I can to put down what my preconceived notions and ideas, my assumptions about the Bible, and I approach it new every time as if though I don't know anything. And I'm learning this stuff for the first time. I do the best I can to approach it that way. And every time, without fail, the Bible shows me something that I believed that was wrong. Yes, I can be wrong, and so can you. And so what do we do? We humble ourselves, and as unpleasant as it may be, we change our perspective. We change through our views. And over the years, I have changed some of my views. Very important. So when we open the word of God, we're committed to truth. And when that truth flies in the face of my preconceived ideas or what I thought to be true, I have to change my perspective. The Bible is right every time. Don Reimer is wrong every time. You got that? The Bible is right 100%. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so we stick with the word of God or what anybody says. I don't care who it is. What title they have, they could be the greatest Bible expositor of all time. But when they make that error and it doesn't line up with Scripture, then you go with Scripture over whoever it is that's saying it. Don't worry about people's title and, and self-importance, so-called. But that's how God sanctifies us. In the eighth chapter of John, Jesus said, If you continue in my words, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says, first, got to continue in my word. There's a continuation in the words of Christ. You learn the word of God, and you continue in it. You respond to it in obedience as you understand it. God calls us to obedience, saints. God calls us to holiness, godly living. That's not an option. Just because we're justification by faith is not a carte blanche for you to go and do whatever you want. I know we're going through Hebrews, but I'm going to go back to Hebrews again here for a minute. And we'll come back around to it again when I get back to Hebrews. I'm breaking it up in segments on purpose. But in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, let's look at this. Let's see what it says here. Hebrews 12. Starting at verse 10, verse 1, 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the finder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Wow. Did you, did you hear that last part? In verse 4, 
In your struggle against sin, verse 4 of Hebrews 12, in your struggle against sin, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Nobody's dying. You haven't become a martyr yet. And so we struggle against sin. We don't yield to it. We struggle against it. Okay? We fight against it. It's a struggle. And the believer is actively wrestling or struggling against that lower nature constantly. You're at war. It's a battle. Yes, it is. And because you lose one battle, don't give up. Get right up, dust yourself off, and get right back in the ring. Let's go. I'll get you this time. Study the tapes. Do whatever you got to do. And the next fight that comes up, you change your tactics. You do whatever you have to do to win. Okay? And it, notice what it says, looking unto Jesus, the author. And our gaze, our gaze, we're sanctified by our gaze. We gaze upon Christ. We're looking at him. And he's our example. And we're trying to emulate and copy him. Don't copy Don Reimer because Don Reimer is a failure. And so you don't want to do that. And I'm not going to copy you because you're a failure. What do I mean by that? Everybody has failed. You follow me long enough, you'll see me stumble and fall. That's why the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay? So as long as Don Ryman's following Christ, yeah, follow me. I suppose you want to do that. But I'd rather you not even do that. I'd rather you just follow Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's through the gaze of the soul. That's where your focus is upon. It's upon him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Christ is the sanctifier. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. Now, let's go back to Hebrews. This is a friend of mine posted this thing on Facebook one time, and I read it, and it is it, stuck in my head, and I has now since become among my favorite verses. And that's back here in Hebrews. I believe in 9.14, I believe it is. I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite verses. I can't remember exactly where to find it, though. Isn't that horrible? See what, see how, see what a failure I am? <laughs> okay. Yeah, see, and that's not even it. See, it shows you how much I know. Let's go chapter 10, verse 14. Let's see if that's it. I'm doing this because I want you to see my humanity. I'm just a man. Nothing more. All right, 1014. For by a single offering, he, that is Christ, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For with one offering, Christ has perfected you and me. Now, we're not perfect yet, but he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Wow. So we're being sanctified and even though we're already made perfect. It's a, it's, it's a done deal. Christ is, is sanctifying us, and we're responding in obedience to him as part of the sanctification. We're, we're digging into the word, which is truth, which is one of the ways that he sanctifies us. And he's going to perfect us. Christian perfection is not sinless perfection. None of us in this lifetime is going to be sinless. That's just never going to happen. None of us are going to be perfect. I don't have all knowledge. The Bible says we prophesy in part, we see in part, we see through a glass darkly. But then when Christ comes, we shall see him face to face. So what then does it mean to be made perfect? How is a Christian, when is a Christian considered perfect? In this life, our perfection you can take out the word perfect and stick the word in there, mature or maturation. We've matured. All right? If you're an elder, I'd like to believe, since I'm an elder, I'd like to believe I mature. I, I pray to God so. If not, just disregard everything I've said in this podcast or any other podcast. But I think that I am mature. And that's where you want to be. You want to mature in God. So the perfection of the believer is a maturity in God. And we get there through the sanctifying work of the truth, through the work of the Holy Spirit, creative act of the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, we get there by self-denial. Yes, self-denial. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and come follow me. We deny ourselves. 
What does that mean? That means when the will of God clashes with my will, I deny myself. Now, if I want to eat some chicken, I can go eat some chicken. Unless God tells me not to eat some chicken, then I won't eat it. If I want to take a trip to Puerto Rico, I'll take a trip to Puerto Rico, unless somehow I know that God does not want me at this particular time, or for whatever reason, to go to Puerto Rico. Then I won't go. That's self-denial. That you deny what you want in order to please God. That's what self-denial is about. You take up your cross. That means there's not only just self-denial, there's a death to self. You make Christ number one in your life, and he's your priority. So I no longer live for self. That's taking up the cross. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Death to self. That means I now live to please God. And so if I have to deny myself certain pleasures in life in order to please God, then so be it. And follow me, and that means right to death. If I have to, if 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 I have to follow Christ in death, and so be it. I will follow Him. I follow Him who left His Father's throne, who birthed nor who bore no earthliness of His own, who bore His cross for love's dear sake alone. I follow Him. That's a hymn written by one of my college professors. Amen sanctifying and maturation that's what it means to be perfect for the believer well as i say this is not an exhaustive study there's a whole lot more i could say but time will not permit at this moment maybe we'll come back to it again maybe in another later podcast But I thank you for those of you who take time out of your day to listen to this. Because again, like I always say, there are other things you could probably do with your time. But I believe that when you listen to this podcast, it is time well spent. If you keep your heart and mind open to the Holy Spirit, not to me, but to the Holy Spirit. And God will show you and teach you some things that will help strengthen your walk with God and hopefully inspire you as well. And so I'd like to encourage you to listen to some other other podcasts that I've done. Um, I did a four-part series on the strong delusion, apostate Christianity, strong delusion, part three. And finally, I, grace and law, grace and truth. And then uh, strong delusion, part four. Um, please take a look to listen to some of those. And it talks about the end of days and what's happening in our you know, in our country and our world right now. Um, testimony of healing. My wife Cynthia gives her testimony of how God healed her from multiple sclerosis and Guillain-Barre. Yes, God still heals today, and He still delivers. And yes, we have the receipts. This is we don't. One thing we will not do in this podcast is make things up, so we can you know just say that things are happening. This is something I know, seen it firsthand, my two eyeballs, I was there, and watched God heal her. And then, for those of you who are wondering about the revival in Asbury, I may come back and do a follow-up on that. Um, revival in Asbury. We'll take a look and see how far that revival has gotten to this point. And as well, I also did some interviews. I also talked about concerning the African diaspora. For those of us who want to say all black people are Jews, Please listen to what I have to say about concerning the African diaspora. And so those are some of the things that I would rec- that I would recommend you listening to. A conversation with Don Hill. I always encourage people to listen to that. Uh, if you have not listened to it, and also subscribe to her podcast, The Love Subscribe. And then I also did a, a from Kickapoo to Katmandu, talking with some great missionaries true apostles, if there is such a thing in, the, in our day and age, uh, the, those are church planters who are now out here and nobody knows who they are, but they're doing the work of God and they're getting it done. And then I did another one, top 10 scriptures out of context. So those are just a few to, for you to look up. Just scroll down and please go to Spotify, like, share, and subscribe. Like, share, and subscribe. That would help me out greatly spread the word by word of mouth and uh, just you know get it out there 
that we're trying to give you the best Bible teaching we can possibly give. So God bless you. Thanks for listening in. And may God richly do a work in your human heart. And if you don't know Christ's forgiveness of your sins, my prayer is that somehow through these podcasts, you may come to know him. If you want to connect with me, you want to write to me or reach out to me, it's rhyd12001 at gmail.com. rhyd12001 at gmail.com. God bless you and stay strong. And keep your eyes and the gaze of the soul upon Christ and Christ alone. God bless.